Hello, hello, and welcome to the Rock Metal Podcast. I'm your host, John Harris, and at Stan Rock Metal Podcast, we have Third Eye Blind. They have a new album called, I probably should have asked you how to say this ahead of time, Our Band Apart. Is that how I say it, Chris? Uh, the last word is actually, I mean, it's French, so it's, it's pronounced a pas. Like, uh, you forget the, you know, ignore the T. The French have a, a beautiful habit. You should know in Canada. We. Oui. You just kind of ignore some of the letters at the end of the, of the words. So our band apart is correct pronunciation, but we don't expect anybody to, well, I don't expect anybody in America to get that right. <laughs> We're going to call it about our band apart. So um, either or is fine, I, I guess. D'accord. Merci. Okay. Our Band of Pal, which was released on September 24th via Megaforce Records. Right now I'm being joined by Chris, who's had his hand in quite a few things as far as videos, documentaries, the album. So this is a very exciting chat. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So, I mean, so many things to chat about. Where do we start? What is probably your favorite thing to talk about right now? Is it the documentary? Is it the album? Gosh, they kind of go hand in hand together. So um, I guess both of those things are the most exciting kind of latest development because it's always what we're working on right now that that I'm really obsessed with. So the documentary is, it's basically the final edit is just, uh, we just looked at it yesterday. So we're doing like a test screening of it, I think on Tuesday, and then uh, it's going to be premiering at a, a theater in New York and we're doing one in uh, a premiere in LA as well. So, um, so that's really exciting to get, you know, to, to get a documentary, it's a 30 minute documentary to get that, uh, into a, a cinema. That's very exciting for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, especially with what's going on in today's day and age, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this is an incredible album release, uh, party, I mean, you know, across New York and, and LA and yeah. Uh, yeah, we're going to do, I think it's going to be like, uh, we're going to premiere the, the documentary and then we're going to do like a Q and A with probably with me and Steven. And then we're going to do, um, like a wee acoustic performance, just to the two of us are just going to play two or three songs off the, off the new album. And then maybe we'll do a, a blooper reel because <laughs> I have a whole lot of outtakes from the documentary and <laughs> some of them are, some of them are, are pretty funny and, but at the same time they weren't right to put into the documentary it didn't you know we didn't want to make it like a gag reel so uh so i was making a joke that we could run the bloopers at the end you know leave them laughing as we, as we leave the theater you know mm-hmm. absolutely now i guess my big honking question is our band appel what is this record about what did you guys set up to create well i mean i'm gonna quote Stephen on this because uh we were all basically in total isolation like a lot of people had their tours canceled i mean you know, we're not unique in that respect, but we were, how would you put it? We were like right at the 11th hour, I think you would say. Like we did our pre-production in Las Vegas in March 2020. And then we went, um, we flew to ground zero for coronavirus in America, which is Seattle. We all flew to Seattle for, um, for the first show on the tour. And we arrived and it was a, there was a kind of a quiet, uh, there was a, there was a quiet over the city. I would say it just seemed like everybody was like going, Whoa, what's going on here? You know? Mm-hmm. And we went out and had some food and we were all kind of isolating, but together, you know, cause we were all together anyway in Vegas. And uh, I was wearing a mask and some people were going, what do you wear a mask for? You know? And, uh, but <laughs> I'm, I usually wear a mask anytime there's a cold or anything like that going on. I, I'm a, I'm a, a mask for tea for, for 
for a long time. But uh, the show got cancelled the next morning. Our tour manager pushed uh, Louis and he pushed it back because the governor or the mayor or whatever was going to make an announcement. And we were like, oh, Jesus, so what's going to happen? And then they announced that no gatherings more than, I don't know, 200 people or something like that. Mm-hmm. So the show was pulled, and then our tour manager was like, all right, hang out today in Seattle, and then tonight we're getting on our tour buses. We're going to drive to Portland, and we're going to do the Portland gig. And, of course, Portland was almost ground zero for coronavirus as well. But by the time we got to Portland in the morning when we all woke up, it was the first email we all saw. It was like tour canceled. Yeah. So we were right there on the brink of you know, of, uh, of starting this huge tour that we prepared for and, you know, the whole band and our entire crew and we'd done all the production and, you know, we were right there and then it was like, now you're going home. It was like, ah, so it was this huge disappointment. We were all like, fuck this, you know? So we got back and it was just like, well, what's going to happen now? And it was just like, everybody just like, and then, you know what happened? The whole country just started to shut down and it just turned into that. So everybody just kind of stayed in isolation. I was in San Francisco uh, Stephen was in San Francisco. I've moved to LA since, but I lived in San Francisco. Yeah. And um, everybody just stayed kind of isolated. And then Stephen and I started doing kind of acoustic stuff and doing like podcasts and, you know, basically anything we could kind of do to kind of continue putting out uh, content and just be like, we're here, everything's fine, you know. So we had a lot of really good interactions with, with the audience and everything like that. But as it went on, um, you know, it was funny because Stephen felt he kind of had like sort of uh, not writer's block per se, but he was like unmotivated. Maybe that's the difference without a distinction, but he was <laughs> unmotivated to create new music. And then I think it was Taylor Swift <laughs> put out a new record. And he was like, what the fuck? Tay put one out. What am I doing? So um, <laughs> Get we to did work. a podcast over it. Yeah, we did a podcast over at his place, just him and I. And he said, hey, I've got all these new songs. And I was like, no way. And he just started banging out all these tunes. Uh, on the acoustic, and I was like, well, this is really exciting. Like, there's going to be a whole new record, you know? And then a bunch of things happened, and now I moved to Los Angeles, and then Stephen called me up and he said, I think I'm going to do like a... He was thinking about putting out a solo record. And then he said, I think I'm going to make it like a band record, but not a Third Eye Blind record. And he had this kind of... Invented this band idea called Threb. And it was like, it was going to be, you know... He was like, I want you to be the guitar player. And I was like, okay, cool. And then, but we'd have other people come in as well. Now we didn't really go ahead with that idea. We started out with that idea, but then the only song on the record where we actually kind of really did like a big collaboration was a song called Funeral Singers. And we got Jeff Schroeder from Smashing Pumpkins. He's a mate of ours. He came in and uh, Curtis Peoples came in and Cassidy Pope, who's actually a country singer from, I don't know where she's from, but we were on tour somewhere. And she was at the gig and we got her to come up on stage and she sang uh, Losing a Whole Year with us and she crushed it. It was amazing. So uh, so we stayed in touch and then she, she uh, uh, did vocals on that one as well. So that track has a bunch of collaboration on it. And then we got Bethany from uh, Be- Best Coast, I think is her, her, her band. Mm-hmm. And uh, she came in and did vocals on, uh, on a track called Again. So there's a little bit of collaboration on the record, but initially it was going to be this completely different mindset the whole the whole record was going to sound different we all felt in the studio that we were like you know we're we're usually pushing the clock and going shit we've still got all of this to do and on this one we were ahead of ourselves we couldn't figure it out we did some pre-production in west hollywood and then we went to the studio and go rock here and you know we were booked into the studio for a month i think or five weeks or something and after like two and a half weeks we're 
like, what else have we got to do? You know? <laughs> so it was a different recording. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't this kind of super precise. Uh, we didn't get locked in or lost in any of the details. We kind of went in. We just got into the room together, and that's what the documentary is about. And this, I know this is the most long-winded answer to a question you've ever heard in your life, but that's why the documentary, like Stephen was like, this is going to be different. You should film it and make it a documentary. And I was like, okay. So we basically just, I do kind of fly on the wall kind of style documentary stuff. So I just banged a bunch of cameras around the studio, recorded all the audio separately, and then we went in and recorded the record. And then when the record went into post-production, I just sat down and started to edit the documentary footage. Wow. Okay. No, it's good because if I ask one question and you take up the whole interview, I, I did my job, I think. Uh, <laughs> Dude, I'm Irish. I'll talk for fucking days. <laughs> <laughs> right? This is good. I dig it. Uh, but no, I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned a lot of really cool things. And one of the ones I wanted to touch on is you, you mentioned starting off the record just with an acoustic guitar. Is that kind of how things start, like a campfire song, and then you guys figure out how to produce it? Or yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah, basically, yeah. Well, Stephen and Colin produced this one, and uh, but that's it's funny that yes, he said campfire because that's exactly what Stephen says anytime, anytime we're talking about doing a tune. He's like, let's do the campfire version, so we can sit down and just <laughs> sit close to each other and talk. You know, we're not. It's not like huge production because this is a big band, and so when we do a big tour, we have a big production. You know, so we've got. There's a lot of moving parts in that, you know, and that's really exciting. But when you're sitting down with your mates to try to write some songs, it's just way nicer to be able to sit down, you know, close to each other. You're not shouting over the drummer who can't stop hitting his fucking snare drum the whole time. You're kind of discussing about. So we go to the E minor or the A minor, you know, and there's somebody going, boom, 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 you know. So so we sat down. That's what we did in West Hollywood. We sat down and uh, we just were in this house and we just, sat out the back with acoustic guitars and just uh, played the song. So it all kind of stems from the vocals. They wanted the vocals to stand up on top of this, on this recording. So, so he was like, he, he said at the beginning of the, of the rehearsals, he said, uh, he said, if at any time you can't hear the vocal, then someone's not doing their gig. <laughs> so it was this kind of funny thing of like contributing to the song without drowning out the vocal. And we were just, like I said, acoustic guitars. And uh, like Brad had a little practice kit, and you know, so it was really cool. And it was funny then because then you went to the studio, and then you start to get really deep into the tones that we wanted for the for the record. And for this one again, instead of like bringing in all my guitars and all my effects and all that stuff, I said like, well, wh- what do you think we should do for this? And Stephen was like, they've got a lot of really cool gear at this studio. It's called Lucy's Meat Meat Market in LA. And uh, we looked at the gear list, and I was like, Jesus, what do we bring? And Stephen was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna show up with my guitar pick. And that's it. <laughs> so, um, so that's basically what we did. So all the sounds and everything that we got, we, we just kind of found them in Lucy's meat market on the day that we were recording that particular track. And it was just a lot of fun. You just sit down with all these vintage guitars and vintage amps and the way, uh, the way Pete has it set up there is just, it's incredible. Absolutely. Everything is ready to go within like 30 seconds. So you're like, Oh, we might put a bit of Hammond on this. He's like, no problem. And he turns on the Hammond microphone. And then you're ready to record the Hammond. It's like crazy. He has so much gear there and it's all just set up to be really effortless. You know, you don't have to go like and pull out a whole bunch of crap to set it up. And there's none of that. Nothing gets in the way of kind of the creative process. You just walk in there and you're ready to work. Yeah. 
So any any budding audio engineers listening in, that's why you show up to your session early, turn all of your equipment on, and make sure that the artist is ready to go at all times. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> musicians left at our own devices are inherently lazy. So if you tell us that there's uh, that it's going to be there are like five steps between you and 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 making the song, making the sound. At step three, we're all you know thinking about lunch. <laughs> so exactly. Boom. Well, I mean, you guys were doing stuff in L.A., so there's probably a lot of good Mexican food and some other things, whatever you want, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's great food in L.A. There really is. And Eagle Rock, that whole area is just, uh, yeah, it's cool. We'd, we'd pop out and get coffees. and I don't drink coffee, but we'd pop out and get tea, and, you know, yeah, it was really cool. Mm-hmm. And, like, I was able to cycle to the studio, so uh, that's that's a, a real treat, you know, so. Yeah, very cool. Now, I guess as a guitar player, well, two two questions if we have time. One is as a guitar player, you mentioned you know all of your effects and things. So I guess how do yeah. you how do you approach the campfire song? Like when you hear the campfire song in your own mind, how do you want to approach that? Like what kind of the silly question is maybe it's not silly, Chris, but what kind of guitar player are you? Like how do you bring your what do you bring to the to the campfire song? To the campfire song. Well, I guess just like I have a fairly good knowledge of uh, improvisation. So uh, because we often change the key just on the fly, which is something that, I mean, <laughs> we did that song, uh, Funeral Singers. Uh, I'm not kidding, man. We we maybe did like like 12 different keys. For the vocals. Something, maybe, maybe nine, something like that. It yeah. was like, yeah, it was like, we kept pushing it up and then we went lower and so we, we would just do it and then we'd have to just play it on the fly. And like, there's, there's a, I always want to do like a big backward guitar solo. So at the beginning of this one, because, you know, back in the day to do that, you would have to, you'd flip the two inch tape over and you, you'd listen to the song backwards and you'd play your guitar solo and then you'd flip the two inch tape back over and you'd listen to the song forwards and your guitar solo would be playing backwards. So that's the way like Jimi Hendrix did it and stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, I want to do one of those, but like we had this whole mindset of like, we're going to record this, we're going to go in and do it all live. And that's what the documentary really captures that we're all in a room together playing. That. But uh, so I was like, well, how do I do that live? And then I sat down at home with my effects gizmos and I worked out how to do it. So you look kind of nuts when you, when you play, when you do it, because you have to play maybe half a beat or like a full be ahead of uh, of everybody else because you have to give your effects unit enough time to process the signal and give it back to you backwards. So basically, you're doing a guitar solo, but it doesn't the, the audio doesn't match up with the visual. You can see me playing the guitar solo in the documentary, and it's like you're like his hands are moving too like too fast. It's like a bad edit, you know. Yeah. But that's actually that's the way that you do it live. So it's uh, mm-hmm. it, it was it was really fun to do. So in terms of that kind of stuff, like the campfire stuff, we, we'd sit down and we'd just play the chords. We'd just be like strumming it out. And then like there were little lead bits we'd come up with and little kind of different melody ideas. And I was just kind of taking notes and going, okay, this is going to be an electric guitar. This is going to be acoustic. I really get into um, playing uh, with the Nashville tuning on, uh, uh, on this record. So there's two tracks on the record where I play a Nashville tuning on the guitar, which is kind of like the high end of... Uh, of a 12 string. So it's like a 12 yep. string without the low strings essentially. So, yep. but yeah, dust storm and ladies and gentlemen, uh, both have, um, that Nashville jangle 
So yeah, uh, it's cool and it's a different register. It was just nice to have that uh, sonic variety into the mix there. So you know, so I think I mean it sounds. You've heard the songs. <laughs> it sounds really really cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, the funny thing is, I was just chatting with somebody the other day about Nashville tuning because they didn't have a twelve string, but they were looking to add some jangle. And so I said, "Well, Diderio makes an actual Nashville set of strings." So, and they were like, "That's right." Yeah, they were like, "What?" And I had to explain the whole Nashville thing. That, it, to my understanding, anyway, you kind of explained it there too. Is it's like the twelve string, but on a six string, so you're just getting the the, the high end jangle. Yeah, exactly. So, and so it's regular tuning, but you're going to put. You're going to put a B string on where you normally your A string would be. Yeah. So you've only got, I think, one flat wound. I think the I think the D string is a, is a, is wound. Wow. So you roll that back to, yeah, you roll up to E. So yeah, it was um, it was a nice sonic variation to bring in there. Yeah. Very cool. Now I think we have time for one last question, and it's when you were sitting down to edit the documentary, what were you looking mm-hmm. to create there? Well, I mean, uh, twofold. One, uh, a kind of clear, honest, concise kind of uh, documentation of the recording process of this album, from the from the rehearsals in West Hollywood through the uh, uh, the actual recording sessions. And then, secondly, Stephen had you know he's produced a bunch of records, so it was kind of like if I can pull back the curtain a little bit into like Stephen's kind of work process like that because. I'm sure everybody has their own way of working and stuff like that, you know, but it's interesting, I think, for people to see how people work in the studio because, you know, like I'm a, I'm an absolute whore for any, any behind the scenes stuff. It doesn't matter who it is. I watched the documentary of Britney fucking Spears on tour, man, you know, <laughs> it didn't like, and I don't, I'm not a fan or anything like that, but Aww. it's like once there was, once there was, uh, once it's behind the scenes, I'm, I'm in, even if it's bad, I'm in, I want to be there. I want to see it. So I think, uh, with that mindset, because we're all music fans and I was just kind of trying to think like, well, what would people want to see? Because there's a, a kind of an idea that musicians kind of, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, you're the lead singer or whatever like that. You know, you come in and you, you do some singing and then, you know, some producers come in and work it out and then you go on tour and you take all the credit, you know? So I think it was good to, let people see how much work we all do because we do go into the studio every day with a blank canvas. Well, today we're going to work on this song and, uh, you know, we go in and we jam the song. We record it. We listen to it. We make changes, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, they're long days. We we decided on this one actually to, to not do long days because if the studio is just like a lockout, which is, you know, you lock out the studio for five weeks, you can kind of work, until whenever you want so they they turn out to be really really long days and we've done that plenty of times and this time around we're like let's not do that so we're kind of trying to put a cap on it so we work kind of like from 11 o'clock in the day until i would say maybe nine o'clock in the evening wow you know it's kind of so there was that and then the other thing is as soon as you see the documentary you'll see that we employed a kind of split screen Stephen thought it'd be cool to have uh that aesthetic that it would be like two images on the screen. And the thing is, because I was saying to him, like anytime we do anything in the studio, it, I always feel like there are two things happening at the same time. And so in order to get that into the documentary, the split screen works. So you've got like somebody in the control room talking to somebody in the live room. So you can show both of those angles at the same time. And uh, similarly, you've got like a, the audio was running through, uh, through the desk. So if we're in the 
live room and we're just jamming or something like that. We capture all of that as well. So we've got like, so it's a, there's a, you know, hours and hours and hours of footage and things like that. So it was a big job. You know, initially I thought like, this will be fine. I'll just bang in some cameras and then I'll take it home and do what I do. You know what I mean? But when I got back and I started to go through that, I was like, James, it's mm-hmm. <laughs> take a while to edit. But, you know, you find the kind of nuggets of gold then and you're like, oh man, yeah, this is great. And so I think it's, you know, you get to see how the band works uh, in the studio. And it might sound pretty straightforward, but uh, I think that's a delight when people get to see that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I mean, you funny you mentioned something about um, something along the lines of like, you know, how hard these people work. And it's like, well, third eye blind, you guys are still around. I mean, that's my junior high mm-hmm. years when that exploded in like the mid to late nineties and you guys are still around. That takes work. That takes a lot of freaking work <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to maintain that, you know? And, uh, even for today, people said, Oh, who are you chatting with today? Third eye blind. And they're like, what? You're chatting with whom? It's a third eye blind, you know? And it's like, those old guys, those old guys, <laughs> they're still kicking around. Uh, yeah, they got a new record. It kicks ass. And even their music videos are kind of reminiscent, or at least again, anyway, for sure is reminiscent of something that would have come out, you know, 96, 97 kind of thing, which I thought was cool. Um, right. yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's something I think a lot of people don't understand is, yeah, it looks cool because you show up and you play a gig for like 90 minutes and then, you, you know, you go home. But there's so much that goes on behind that gig that you're playing for 30 minutes, one hour, whatever it is that you're doing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, there's kind of a, a, a veneer over the whole thing that I think some people see. And so they assume, you know, sometimes, I don't know, people say stuff to you. you know, like, yeah, oh, you guys just white glove it. Come in at the last minute and go, that's right, yeah, but... You know, when when we record the album, I mean, it was just as us, our engineer, and Danny, our our tech. You know, yeah, that was the album. It's just we're we're making it ourselves. You know, Groovy. All right, so we chatted about making the documentary, which will be premiering on September twenty fourth. Now, this episode will more than likely air after that, but either way, uh, the documentary will be available for people to watch uh, after they hear this episode. We chatted about crafting the uh, album, Our Band of Pal, with uh, campfire songs and adding in some production values, uh, which can also be seen in the documentary, which is super cool. We chatted about all kinds of things, guest musicians, uh, the pandemic. You mentioned changing the key for all these different guest vocalists and whatnot, which is cool. Uh, We even got Nashville tuning in there for some jangly. And we chatted about a couple of tracks, a couple of music videos that will be available on today's show notes again and Box of Bones, as well as the band's website, thirdeyeblind.com. And I even wrote down a quote because I thought it was fantastic. If you can't hear the vocals, then you got to keep working. You said something along those lines, like, if you can't hear the vocal, then... Oh, if at any point, yeah, when it was Steven who said it, yeah, if at any point you can't hear the vocal, then someone's not doing the gig. Like somebody's... <laughs> Stepping out a little bit too much, like check me out, you know. Yeah, like, nothing fancy. We wanted to keep it humble. <laughs> exactly. Beautiful. Okay. Well, that concludes my questions. So, Chris, thank you so much for coming on to the Rock Metal Podcast today. Absolutely. Thanks very much. <laughs>